Is it Feth off? Yeah, it's Feth off. Uh, yeah. I wrote that part on my phone. <laughs> Dangerous Casino in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 180 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing games without depending on the dice. But first, the rogue traders strong arm the locals in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the improviser makes it up as they go along in the character creation forge. So Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press. 12 Peculiar Towers is a collection of 5th edition adventures for characters levels 1 to 13 with the theme of, you guessed it, towers. So many towers, not quite a baker's dozen of towers. No, but a baker's dozen of levels available to use on those towers. It's very true. You know, maybe there's an extra super secret hidden tower. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I mean, I, you did not hear that from us. <laughs> maybe it's invisible. So what you will find in there are mysteries within the forest lair of a Ravenfolk bandit gang. Or a magical archive of ancient elven lore. Or perhaps you're interested in the hideout of a powerful thieves guild master. Or the stronghold of a sinister blood mage. If I were a blood mage, I also would live in a tower. I would also be sinister. Right-handed blood mages are overrated. (laughs) Why is the guild master also in a tower? You'd think it'd be underground or in a cave. That's what I would do. You would think that, but um, haven't you seen Lucky Number Slevin? It's way more dramatic to have two rival organizations and two uh, neighboring towers. Oh, I do like that idea because then you can fire missile weapons at each other from across Mm -hmm. or just glare menacingly from your corner office. Absolutely. That's literally the plot of Lucky Number Slevin. Ah, that's perfect. I've never seen that. Um, Well, you're missing out. It's a great Josh Hartnett, Bruce Willis, Lucy Liu vehicle. uh, There are no great Josh Hartnett vehicles. So uh, this one also has Ben Kingsley <laughs> and Morgan Freeman. So if, oh, if there is one, on it. it's this one. Is there a cut somewhere on YouTube that a fan put together that just takes out all the Josh Hartnett? <laughs> It'd be tough to do. <laughs> but you get the I, Lucy Liu and Lucy Liu is just fantastic. Oh, I agree. You know, I heard that um, low res jeans are coming back because like the early 2000s are going to be back in style pretty soon. And like that's what Josh, Josh Hartnett territory, right? Uh, I have no desire to relive any of that time in any way. Well, you know what I heard? That there are eight other distinctive dungeons inside 12 Peculiar Towers <laughs> from Cobalt Press. I heard that each one comes with a beautifully illustrated map, including many isometric maps. And of course, plenty of traps, hazards, and enemies to challenge your players. Shane, did you know that uh, Angelo in our home group, you know, who runs our Dark Sun game, told me that he skips these ads? <laughs> That's rude. He just goes skip, skip. And you know what? I think from now on until we hear otherwise. We're going to make them longer. And I'm going to say something bad about Angelo each time just to see how many episodes it takes (laughs) (laughs) before he listens to an ad all the way through. Okay. You tell us something bad about Angelo and I'll tell the rest of our listeners where they can pick up 12 Peculiar Towers. That's an excellent idea. Uh, Angelo's wife is more interesting than he is. And I think everyone who knows him and he will in fact agree. And you can get 12 Peculiar Towers in print and PDF today at www.cobaltpress.com. Speaking of being worse than your significant other, Shane, 
where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the death world Iblis Prime, in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra, and Prophet. So while the others are pursuing those prophets, your chief Medicaid, Doc, indulges himself and seeks out the Technogangers, which run rampant around Meridian. If you recall, they're one of the major organizations that holds power in the city. Yeah, uh, it's always a little surprising when our chief Medicaid decides to go off by himself and explore a random new planet that we kind of sort of own. Yeah, so seeing that obvious problem, a very suspicious Seneschal Trix accompanies him. I don't know that that makes it any better. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I said a very suspicious. I don't know if I'm describing Trix as suspicious or if I'm describing Trix's <laughs> demeanor as suspicious. Well, he's certainly a terrible babysitter for yeah. our <laughs> for our terrible doctor. So, <laughs> uh, after asking around the right ganger haunts, they get a name. Uh, the name is Voodoo, and he's a member of the gang, the Kryptonics. So, with no real plan in mind, they show up at a warehouse owned by Voodoo. Um, they get a little bit of static at the door, you know. They have to murder a couple of tough guys, no big deal. Uh, and then they kick down the door. Yeah, and inside they find exactly what you would expect in an abandoned warehouse owned by techno-gangers. They find a bunch of low-level gangers sitting around playing cards, you know, uh, drinking Amasek, tooling on their auto carriages, you know, just that normal kind of thing. Uh, and they demand an audience with uh, Voodoo. Voodoo is not immediately forthcoming, so they do what they do, uh, threats escalate, they vandalize the place a little bit, you know, ugly it up a little, uh, before an older, very heavily tattooed ganger finally steps forward. He tells them, you know, feth off, we're not interested in uh, anything you've got to talk about. He does ultimately agree to help them out, you know, if they'll stop wrecking the whole garage and killing everyone in it. So now that they have a small gang at their disposal, Doc and Trix return to the rest of the group to make their final preparations for the expedition. And we'll find out how that goes next week. So this week, we're talking about putting down the dice, which is to say, reclaiming some control from the randomness of chance. Yeah, why don't you just put the dice down, okay? Mm -hmm. We don't want any trouble. <laughs> just, just, just leave your dice over there. L <laughs> leave them at the door. <laughs> you got to check your dice, boy. <laughs> no dice in town. <laughs> we got a law around here. I just watched Tombstone. That's exactly the plot of Tombstone. <laughs> Don't want no randomness here around here. Okay. I only ever been in one role playing game, and I rolled my dice, and a man died that day. <laughs> A man lost his life, and I took it with my dice. My daddy told me, never touch those dice, and I never will. Okay, so yes, that's exactly right. We're putting down the dice because it does, in fact, reduce a bunch of uh, randomness. We're going to talk today about how to leave them on the table and decide for yourself what happens in the game. Uh, but Shane, why would you even want to do that? Because isn't the entire purpose of role-playing games to roll some dice to find out what happens? Uh, yes, it is the whole point, but sometimes it's helpful to not roll dice because maybe you want to eliminate pointless failure. You know, uh, there's a concept of failing forward, but if the party just doesn't fail because you just don't make them roll, then sometimes they can just accomplish something they're easily supposed to be able to do. 
Yeah, you know, when you're writing that part of the adventure where they're supposed to find some clues and then easily move on to the the next part so that they, you know, discover the person who's actually going to fill them in on what's going on. Rolling just introduces the possibility that they don't find anything and then they're kind of stuck there with nowhere to go and nothing to do. You've hit that bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Happens yeah. a lot in investigations. Yep. Uh, that's That's why gumshoe and like knight's black agents they just take the rolling out of investigations you just do it because you're competent right uh it happens a lot in wayfinding as well okay we were in one place we've got to get to a different place um i guess we're doing a bunch of rolling and we don't have a ranger so we get lost we get lost a lot Mm -hmm. and i I guess you know the next three sessions are random encounters no big deal And then another thing that sometimes uh, has some pointless failure is when you've got like minion combat, right? When you just need to uh, wade through the masses, it's not really all that fun to just roll d20s and dice and and mow them down for the, you know, fifth straight round of combat. Right. Or miss them four times in a row. Oh, even better. And like, right. We've just wasted 20 minutes where like nothing happens and we're just mopping up. And we also feel incompetent. Yeah. Putting down the dice also reduces unexpected success. So, you know, if in the game there is an unbreakable door and the only way to get inside it is to use the key that the evil wizard keeps in her pocket because the whole point is to go to the top of this peculiar tower, find the wizard, kill the wizard, take the key and come back to the door. Well, like, don't have the rogue roll pick locks on the door because there's only two options here. They either roll really well and like it fails because it's an unbreakable, unpickable door and they're not supposed to get in yet. Right, uh, and that's really anticlimactic. Uh, or it succeeds, and that derails your entire adventure because, like, now they don't have to go up the tower. And then the other big thing is that it speeds up the game. There's already a lot of actions that you skip the rules for: boring stuff, things that PCs are just able to do. You know, you don't roll uh, an escape artist check to try and get out of your armor, uh, and you don't have to roll to reload your weapons in most games. Yeah, so just you know, you're expanding the number of things that you're not rolling for. And then also, you know, at the table, it helps the players feel more like they're in control. You know, the outcome of this action is not determined by the random roll of the dice. They just make a decision and it happens. Right. So let's talk about some methods for actually putting the dice down and implementing this. Yeah, you mentioned this a little bit. Uh, The first and probably easiest thing to do is to just assume a minimum level of competence or incompetence on the part of your PCs. So like you said, Gumshoe does this. Uh, it doesn't do it for everything, right? Like if you've got to shoot someone, punch someone or, you know, dodge, you still need to make rolls. But for certain activities, particularly investigative activities, if you're good at it, you know, if um, you decided that you're you know, really great with medicine, then if you're trying to uh, identify some sort of like pharmaceutical, you just do that because that's what you're trained at. Yeah. And like in D&D, you have this where uh, everyone with a certain strength score can just clear a distance with a running jump. Like that's just straight math. So you don't need a roll to try and, you know, leap 12 feet as long as you have enough strength. Yeah, I really like those uh, kinds of rules because it sort of gets rid of a lot of the annoying rolls where all that really happens is like you either succeed and it's no big deal, or you fail, and you get this this slapstick like yakety sacks issue where you're you know you're making balance checks all the time to like walk across terrain, and like your 14th level fighter just keeps falling on his face because he mm-hmm. can't make a DC 14 balance check. Right, because he doesn't have dex, he has strength. <laughs> right, <laughs> I didn't invest in that. <laughs> so so that's funny because like 
I really don't like rules for that. What I like is advice to do that because um, I don't want to codify those things because it's just more, you know, non-core activities that have reference points in the rule book. But I do like the advice for GMs to just make those assumptions because it makes your life easier. Well, we're seeing a move toward that in 5th edition D&D, for example, with uh, things like passive perception, which first showed up in 4th edition, um, where you know, you still roll for perception and you can still roll to see if, you know, you notice something that's very difficult to notice, but everybody just gets a baseline level of competence in terms of like what they're noticing all the time. And, you know, that kind of makes sense in the real world, right? Like I don't notice, I I don't miss noticing that like there's another person who just walked into the room that I'm in uh, 5% of the time. Right. You know, like you just see that that happened. So another thing to keep in mind is that you, along with the proficiencies and skills that you have, come a certain amount of knowledge that goes along with it, right? So things like history or nature, for example, those are just straight knowledge checks. But you don't roll to clean or repair the weapons that you use because you would just assume by being proficient in it, uh, you know how to maintain that gun or you know how to sharpen your sword or oil it or clean it after you get into a bloody fight, right? Like you don't have to worry about the quality of your stuff because you're proficient. That includes a certain you know, set of background skills as well. Yeah, and with those knowledge checks, like keep in mind that a proficiency or like having a skill or points in a skill or you know whatever your game does like it doesn't mean that you now have access to be able to make those roles like that's not all it means it it means that you have a baseline amount of competency right if you're trained in history if you're uh trained in you know psychology then like you've taken intro to psych uh 201 301 like you are significantly better at those topics and skills than someone who has no training in it whatsoever, which means that every single time it comes up, it shouldn't just be a straight roll between you and the person who's never even encountered a history book before, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, great. They, you're each rolling a D20 and like, if they roll a 20, there should be some knowledge that they just don't have access to because they never would have encountered it. And you, there should just be some knowledge that you always have access to. So it's not always dependent on the die roll. You, you know, you roll a three, that's fine. You still know, like, who won the Battle of Waterloo. You're mm-hmm. never going to forget that. You're never going to not know that no matter how poorly you roll. Uh, you can also uh, roll in lower level abilities into higher level abilities. So you, like, you assume that someone with a high level ability also has the lower level one. So, for example, if you know how to fly a spaceship through real space that doesn't necessarily mean that you can fly that ship through hyperspace. But if you can fly through hyperspace, it's almost guaranteed that you can fly through real space. Uh, a lot of games sort of break them out into two different things, and it's sort of weird, like Road Trader does this, where you can have, um, like, navigate, uh, what is it, like, space, and then navigate uh, warp. Well, there, two... there's also navigate warp, and then I believe there's profession, or one of those skills that's also, like warp navigation so oh, or, or, wonderful okay or warp astrogation so it's like if you want to do it you need this skill if you want to make the map of it you need this skill it's like Plus there's also okay, operate but, right which and that's broken down by like different, different uh kinds of, of ships yeah. yeah like operate void ship right <laughs> uh it's a great way to get more people involved in meaningless and unfun tasks yeah or it's an excellent way to ensure that uh there is no task that your party will be able to accomplish because not ever you don't have people who have all six different skills required what do you mean that that your warp travel has been unnecessarily risky and provided lots of dramatic hooks for you well i blame flair 
That's <laughs> so almost that's certainly fine. accurate. <laughs> so yeah, you can also just condense those skills together. You know, you can just say um, ship operation, right? Uh, means that you know how to run the ship. And like in Star Wars, if you know how to fly a ship, you also know how to fly through hyperspace. That's great. They always break yeah. out astrogation, and I guess that's just a reason to have a droid, but uh, I guess roll that into computers. You know, they don't need to be different things. Yeah, and you can also look for the overlap in those skills, like nature and survival, for example. If you're looking for a specific plant, um, you know, a nature skill helps you find that plant just as well as general survival skill does as well. Right. It's fine to say if you have nature or survival uh, proficiency, great, you find it. So... The way to do, like like you just described then, is to actually preempt the role with a set of criteria that just lets you do it, right? So anybody who has nature or survival can do this, or anybody who has a background that involves the dark lighters would know this, right? So if your background involves, you know, if you happen to be a member of the dark lighters or fought against the dark lighters, well, congratulations, you know this fact. And if you've never heard of the dark lighters, doesn't matter. You, you don't know it. Right, that's a great point, that it doesn't necessarily need to be tied to game mechanics um, or, like, skill proficiencies or whatever. It could be, you know, hey, you're from Chicago, like, your character's from Chicago, so you know this about, uh, what is it, Chi-Town or whatever it is in Rifts? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you're from Missouri, and you have no idea, even though, like, you're the intelligence-based character or whatever. Yeah, you're just not going to know what's on the corner of, you know, uh, River and Hudson. That's the Chicago probably section, right. probably. I'm I'm assuming it's it's drunk people. Lakeshore and something or other. And they're screaming about the bears, right? That's Chicago. Right. Yeah. The bears. See? See, it's because of course I uh am proficient in Chicago. Right. <laughs> uh do do this the other way around. Flip it around too, right? Um you you don't know this, right? Uh, you have the intelligence based character with the the history proficiency. Um, if there's just a bit of knowledge that isn't available at this point or that no one in the party would have even encountered because like that's a reveal you're saving for you know 10 sessions from now that there's just no way they can find it and save them the indignity of having to roll that rolling really high and then still not knowing anything yep so let's talk about ways to disallow rolling because sometimes players call for their own rolls or insist that they should roll yeah, this is different at every table. Uh, I've definitely heard complaints uh, from some GMs that, you know, they have players who will just sort of grab their dice, declare what they're rolling it, and roll it without even necessarily waiting for any sort of prompt. And, you know, I think that's that's fine when a group knows each other pretty well. But, you know, keep in mind, you as a GM don't need to honor the results of every roll that you didn't actually call for. You know, someone says, all right, I walk in and I roll perception. Um, well, maybe there wasn't a chance for them to roll perception or maybe there was just something that you know they're not going to notice or see so it doesn't matter that they rolled a, a 20 and got a 32 another thing that you can do is to just use passive abilities uh, rather than prompting for rolls you know assume the baseline roll and give them their success based on that um, that's especially useful for more experienced characters where they have more invested in sort of static bonuses or they have higher averages where failure is unlikely and tends to be not that exciting yeah i like this as part of a sort of like a skill challenge except that instead of you know everyone trying to roll their best skill each time to add up to a certain number of successes you're just sort of having a conversation around the table about how you are solving this challenge or this puzzle 
Um, you know, and that has consequences based on, you know, the actions that you as a party decide to take. But it's essentially, all right, like, I know explosives because, like, that's my job in the party. So, like, I'll just go set some explosives. And you are stealthy, so you will, you know, sneak around and, like, watch what happens or, or keep lookout or whatever while I'm doing that. And those things just happen. You know, we don't necessarily need to roll them. Yeah, and you can also narrate this um, or, or merge this, right, where you do have a role, but you don't have everybody role. So you narrate it in such a way that those static and passive abilities just permit the role that otherwise wouldn't be possible, right? Like you can't make that explosives check unless you had also had the engineer nearby and also had the um, sleight of hand to set up the um, the device and those different things, right, um, which were all successful allowing you to make the check. Yeah, I do like the idea that, you know, not everything needs to be completely diceless, right? We're, there are plenty of options where you just roll the dice less or only one person does. Uh, and it, it's, I think, much more interesting where other people are aiding one role or sort of, you know, one person is kind of making a group role for everybody. It uh, eliminates that instance where, you know, everyone's making a perception check. So like everybody rolls and we're just hoping somebody gets a 20, you know? Yep. Um, it's... I'm good at it, but you're good at it too. So like three of us will keep watch and, you know, whoever has the highest modifier or whatever just rolls it. Or like literally any of you can roll it. It doesn't matter. The The reverse also happens sometimes where you'll get players who just expect that there's going to be a roll even when there doesn't necessarily need to be. So, you know, as soon as they're talking to the shopkeep, they're immediately rolling persuasion checks or haggle checks to see uh, if they can get a better price. When like all they really need to do is talk to them just ask their name. Yeah, exactly. Like this shopkeeper is actually pretty nice. And like you did save the village a year ago. So, you know, if you ask for a discount, they're just going to, they're just going to give it to you. Right. You know, so, but then if they roll and they roll really poorly, now you're sort of stuck with like, uh, do I have to make it so that you don't get that discount or whatever? You can just at the table, like wave your hand and be like, like, no, don't worry about it. Like wave those dice away, uh, and just narrate that success. You know, um, don't even worry about rolling. You guys saved the town a year ago. They will totally give you a discount. Yeah, and then the flip side for things that are just impossible, when you narrate the result, make sure that it's clear that it's impossible, right? That it doesn't matter how high you roll. You're never going to punch through an adamantine door. Stop making athletics checks. This is silly. Right. I tried to make it clear when I said it was adamantine and you insisted on making an athletics check. That's fine. You still fail. Right. You want to try it again? Yeah, sure. All right. Right. You break your hand. Wonderful. Exactly. (laughs) You have medicine though, right? Yeah, you can patch it up. Don't roll. Put your shoulder back in its socket, please. (laughs) So another way to advance your storyline without picking up those dice is resource management. This means that the party's success is determined by an expenditure of resources. There are a bunch of different games that do this. I mean, there are some games that like don't technically use dice. Like uh, Phoenix Dawn Command is um, more of a card strategy card game. game i guess mm-hmm. yeah. yeah there there is an element of randomness in the cards that you're drawing but every time you try to take an action you're using the cards in your hand and so like the player knows whether something's going to succeed or fail right because they either have the cards for it or they don't right uh, we mentioned gumshoe before you know there's that minimum level of competence but for activities that are more complicated you also have a pool of points that you can 
pump into them. Uh, does that guarantee auto success or does this, does that just increase your chances? Uh, in Gumshoe, having the skill gives you the success. And then if you spend points, you get um, like bonus information. So a lot of times like you offer up extra clues if somebody is willing to spend their points. Mm. And then, uh, oh yeah, in Phoenix, it's not just the cards that are resourced, but you've got, uh, I think your health and your, what is it, spark, your spirit, mm-hmm. right. um, are essentially your resource, except that they also uh, manage when you die. Right. <laughs> so you can spend health in order to do things. In fact, you have to spend health in order to do things. Um, or you have, everyone has special abilities where they spend, you know, spark, and, you know, if you start running low on spark, or you run out of spark, you either fall unconscious or die, like, um, it's a it's a nice way to make it feel like you know there is something not necessarily negative but like there's a consequence there's a cost to being able to do something but at least you are succeeding yeah i mean there's a lot of different resources that you can spend in this way regardless of your game right like if you have hit points or wounds or stress or hit dice you can use those to like endure a storm, right? To continue marching through inclement weather or sailing through inclement weather. Right. You don't need to roll um, all your nature or endurance checks to get through. You can just narrate through that and say, um, all right, like everyone lose a quarter of your hit points or, or wounds or whatever. And like, you'll get through this. Uh, same thing works for like gold. If you're looking for information, trying to find rumors, you know, you grease some pockets, spend some money. Find mm-hmm. out some information. Uh, spell slots. Uh, maybe you know you have a character who's doing research or you know doing some uh, magical experimentation. Just you know burn some slots for today because I know that you're not going to be able to rest. Uh, ammunition works yep. really well for killing minions when you're shooting them. <laughs> yep, because it's really a question of can you kill them? It's can you kill them all with the resources you have? Yeah. Uh, and then of course you can make your party just spend in-game time. Um, this, this can work if you have some sort of puzzle, uh, or, or like a combination lock, right? Where it's not a question of if your party can solve it or, um, are the, are the very intelligent, uh, characters going to be able to figure this out. You can just say it takes, you know, this, this long, um, and you know, you spend four hours trying every single combination on the lock and and it opens. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to mitigate bad rolls for something that should have been successful with a skill check. You can mm. just spend an alternative resource in order to get it done, um, perhaps that the party didn't want to spend at that point. So lots of games also have sort of meta rules that allow for this type of uh, success as well. So things like bennies or force points or inspiration. Um all of these things should be spendable as resources to get you the result you're looking for without necessarily rolling. Yeah, I think one of the issues people have with inspiration in 5th edition is that there's an excellent chance that it doesn't do anything for you. That's the worst. Yeah. You know, okay, it gives you advantage, but you've got to use it before you roll. And so if you roll high on both of them, then like you would have succeeded anyway. Lame. Right. So inspiration should be stronger, yes. But keep in mind those kinds of resources that your players have access to. Uh, because they should be using them um, and consider making them just sort of like get out of jail free or um, auto success abilities where they can just say, all right, we're going to spend one of these limited resources. Uh, A thing just happens. Uh, We've been alluding to it this entire episode, but you've also got just straight up narrative gameplay where you just talk through what happens and everyone kind of agrees. 
Uh, there are, you know, some RPGs that this is the entire resolution mechanic. Um, I think one of the first big ones was Amber Diceless in 1991. I think it was like a a response to sort of the dice forwardness of games like D&D, where, you know, before it was sort of like just this Monty Hall dungeon where you're like traipsing around and, and rolling dice to find out how quickly you kill a thing and, you know, how much gold you get. Uh, this was very much focused on, you know, you have abilities uh, and you're good at some things and not good at other things. And you just sort of compare them to each other when you um, come into conflict with another character. And then everyone sort of goes, yeah, it makes sense that that person wins or or the other person wins. And so that's what happens. We just played Mission Accomplished. This is another game that works exactly that way. Um, ultimately, it's the GM who moderates the outcome of a dispute right but for the most part you just talk through what happened in the in the mission and either it turns out a citation or a a commendation for you depending on how well you sucked up to mission control yeah and there's a lot of uh, incentive to really like lean into your your character because the entire point is sort of to defend your actions um, or to make up what actions you did or to lie about what actions you allegedly did (laughs) yeah uh, and, you know, it's not a diceless system because there are dice. You're actually handing out dice as like a positive or a negative, depending on, you know, the resolution of each particular task. And at the end, there's just that one single die roll. Although, I mean, you could really have the game without the die roll at all. Mm-hmm. If you just want to arbitrarily decide the ending. Yeah. Or you could fight, you could fight it out. We haven't talked about that yet. Or people just punch each other. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, this is, this is nerds. I guess a slap fight. T- test of skill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> Oh, we haven't talked about test of skill. Uh, the only one I can really think of is dread. I yeah, dread. I guess because it's a uh, Jenga based, right? Instead of roll, so every time you would like roll a die, or you're not sure of the outcome of something, there's actually a, a Jenga tower, um, and you have to remove a tile. And if you do, then, then great, it works out for you. And if you don't, uh, you die. <laughs> <laughs> I like that in dread. Like resolution is you succeed or you die. <laughs> well, horror, you know. Yeah. <laughs> The first time you fail to get the car started on time is the first time you get killed by the slasher. It makes perfect sense, all right? That's exactly how it works in a horror movie. Anytime anything goes wrong, it's either foreshadowing and we know you're going to die, which actually is kind of how it works in Dread, right? You don't necessarily die immediately. It's just like, well, you're definitely not making it out. Right. So if you are uh, narrating without dice, just narrate through those obstacles. We talked a fair amount about this in the... um, failing forward episode. Uh, I think this kind of technique works best when the party is encountering things that they've already met, uh, although they may be in different combinations, right? You're not necessarily throwing the exact same things at them in the exact same order, but it might be that, you know, they're working their way through a dungeon and they meet, you know, kobolds and pit traps and uh, like an acid trap uh, and gelatinous cubes but they've met all of those things before just individually elsewhere in other dungeons so they know how to get around them they know how to deal with them you can just have everyone talk about how they do those things or what pre- what preparations do they make when like you know they hear kobolds around the corner right or just speed right through the groundhog day stuff where cool like we're gonna do the same four f- first tasks and then try to resolve the fifth thing we failed at last time like we can skip right through numbers one through four yeah, this actually works pretty nicely when you are running old school adventures where there's a whole lot of repetition. 
there's a whole lot of running out of the dungeon to heal and then go back in. Yeah, <laughs> right. Now we got to go back again. And you've got to make those random rolls about like what denizens have repopulated. It's like, uh, we no, we pass. know how to do this. Yeah. I don't need to like roll another balance check to cross the rope bridge again. Like we already did that. It's boring. So when you're in this type of narrative mode, it's also a good idea not to require skill checks if your players aren't asking to make them. You know, like if you're solving a puzzle and the players are having fun trying to figure it out, like there's no need to interrupt them by asking for intelligence. Um, Like let them just play it out. Whereas if they're stuck, hey, maybe that's a good time to give them a hint with an intelligence check. Yeah, exactly. Like you certainly wouldn't after your players have solved the puzzle go, hey, that was great role playing. Uh, So now make an intelligence check to see if you actually did solve the puzzle. This is sort of the same thing. It's a thing that people get um, hung up on when it comes to charisma checks and like actually like talking to NPCs. So, you know, if the party is bantering at a dinner party um, and they're having a good time of it and, you know, they're making some faux pas here, but they're also sort of like making friends and, and getting some information out of people. Why bother with the persuasion checks? Like, just mm-hmm. role play out that dinner party. It can be fun. Or, you know, on the flip side of that, if they're interrogating a suspect. I think parties typically tend to interrogate suspects uh, or prisoners all together. Um, maybe there might be one role from one person making a check. But, you know, other than that, just sort of let everyone do their good cop, bad cop thing. Yeah, by getting away from the dice, this can avoid having a single PC who has that skill always getting the spotlight for that thing, or conversely, always being the one who's responsible for that thing. Um, You know, if there's only one person trained in interrogation and somebody else decides to roleplay it, well, maybe fudge it for them just so that they can actually have that spotlight. Yeah, I think a lot of RPGs are based around, you know, the party as the central unit, so there's a lot of specialization. And that works pretty well for the most part, but you know, you constantly get into these situations where, you know, Oh, okay. Uh, I'll do the perception again. Cause like I'm the best at it. Uh, yeah. But then no one, either no one else is trying it or you have other people who are trying it, but they're terrible at it like mechanically. And so like they tend to be failing. And so like the party's getting into situations where they're not spotting things that they should be spotting. Um, it, it's really great if you can, <laughs> you can just sort of hand wave a lot of that. So another type of session that often doesn't require much rolling is the scheming session, the planning session, the one where um, your players are working on some greater purpose and just trying to figure out what it is they need to do, something like a heist or setting it up an op- setting up an operation or uh, making a plan to escape. Yeah, these are some of the best sessions that I'm ever in on both sides of the table, right? Like as a player, you're just sort of like, you know, hashing things out at the table um, or, and it's not even necessarily just planning, right? It's uh, where we're going to go like talk to five different people to figure out, you know, what's actually going on in the city. Um, but a lot of that is just conversation and doesn't necessarily require any rolling. Right. Um, and on the GM side, obviously, like the the best sessions are the ones where like nobody's rolling anything and you're not doing anything or saying anything because the, the players are just figuring it all out on, the, on their own between themselves. Yeah. Nobody's rolling anything and nobody minds. Yeah. No one notices that they're not rolling anything because you're still advancing the storyline. Like um, there were a lot of sessions on uh, Meridian in Rogue Trader where all we're really doing is sort of like traipsing around the city, figuring out like who's actually in power and talking to different people. There there weren't really necessarily even like charm rolls uh, 
when talking to different gangers, it was just like, hey, we have a lot of guns. Uh, do you want to talk to us? No, then I think we're probably going to shoot you. Oh, okay, you'll talk to us. That's great. Yeah, you also had this uh, quite a bit in the very first Rogue Trader adventure when you were in prison, trying to figure out how to get out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it was uh, succeed or die, right? We had explosive collars around our neck, so mm-hmm. no one was trying to pick those locks. Right, exactly. <laughs> you, you were trying to get as much information as you could before you put a plan into place. Right, let's just banter with these orcs. How you guys doing? How long have you been here? Yeah, exactly. You like it? How much stuff can you fit up your butts? <laughs> teeth? You like teeth? I can get to teeth. There's no role to pull out people's teeth, right? Uh, this is another thing that's happened a lot in Dark Sun is uh, we're we're constantly scheming and planning. Perhaps not the most flavorful Dark Sun, but uh, <laughs> also we're, we're constantly wondering what's going on and what are we missing? <laughs> yeah, we've definitely hit that part in... Uh, the the campaign where we're powerful enough that we don't need to worry about the day-to-day stuff uh, and we're mobile enough that we can avoid situations that we don't want to get into. So now it's sort of like, all right, which city do we teleport to and which sorcerer king do we uh, try to argue with or convince to join our side? And we'll just, you know, hit three of them during this one session. Right. But also, like, how do we safeguard ourselves to make sure that that sorcerer king doesn't just murder us when we show up? Right. Exactly. I I do like this, this like huge power imbalance where we know that they could snuff us easily. No problem. There's no role required. There's no save against like whatever they're going to do. Right. They're just going to rip your soul from your body. Power kill. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, But you just make sure that there's you have something that they want and you don't bring it with you. Right. And so you roll up and also you're not rolling persuasion because like they're not going to be persuaded by your charms, a silly mortal. Uh, so you've actually got to have reasons. You've got to, you know, logic with them and offer them things that they want. So we've talked a lot from a GM perspective. Let's talk about from a player perspective. Oh, you mean power gaming, not rolling? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So as a player, pretty much all the time, you want to reduce randomness in any way that you can, right? Because randomness favors the enemies because, you know, they're only on stage for one session typically, right? They're there to die, you know? But uh, when things kind of go awry as a player, like, it just takes one time that you slip off the rope bridge and fall into lava for your entire story to be over. Mm-hmm. So look at abilities that reduce the need for you to roll and uh reduce the odds of what you're going to get on your die so in 5e you have uh, abilities like portent where you're pre-rolling dice and you can choose when to use them throughout the day Uh, rogues get reliable talent where you are still technically rolling but you're never rolling less than an 11 so like you're just kind of rolling for high success yep that's the value of high modifiers that takes the swinginess of the dice out of play or ways to grant yourself advantage yeah, uh, if you can find any way to grant yourself an auto-success, uh, you know, there, there are those abilities that say, you know, once per day, turn a miss into a hit, um, is kind of great, actually, because <laughs> you can just close your eyes, uh, face the wrong way, uh, and then make sure you don't even know where someone is, try to attack randomly, and then you know you'll miss, and then, great, you just turn it into a hit. <laughs> right. Uh Another thing to keep in mind is immunity. Um, immunity is defensive guarantee, right? Like you don't need to worry about that sleep spell because you are immune to charm. Right. Paladins immune to disease. Great. I'll attack the mummy. I do not care about rolling ones on those saves. Right. And I, I will say uh, ad- advice for the uh, cautious player is don't pick up the dice if you don't want to fail. Because 
if you are having fun and the GM is having fun and like the story is in flow, there's an excellent chance that your GM is just going to let whatever you say happen, happen because it sounds good and it makes sense. You know, don't screw yourself up by like delivering an excellent speech and then saying, and now I shall roll persuasion and then fail. Yeah, I think, um, I think that goes both ways too, right? Like as a GM, don't allow your players the chance to fail if there isn't a exciting and dramatically interesting outcome for failure. Right. right. Like if the only interesting path is success, then don't risk failure. Just find a better time for them to risk failure. Right. Like I'm kind of framing it as like, okay, hey, players, you know, you can get one over in your GMs by like not picking up the dice unless they insist. But like both the players and the GMs in these particular moments should be wanting everyone to stay away from those dice because the story is already perfect the way that it is, right? You gave an amazing speech. Everyone is roused. Like, go forward and do the thing that you want them to do. Like, why introduce that randomness where now all of us might just be feel deflated because you rolled a two and we're either going to, like, you know, uh, nudge it a little and say it was cocked and, <laughs> and like, take a mulligan or we're going to ignore it. Or, or we're just going to, like, say that actually the, the speech that we heard wasn't that great and we're just going to pretend that it was terrible. Well... Or you're going to send Echo to hang out in the kitchen instead of at the yeah. dinner party. <laughs> well, you know, she also gave a terrible speech. <laughs> um, yeah, this happens in Dark Sun. My character Malachi has a charisma of 10 and an intelligence of 10. These aren't low. They're just average, right? But I still participate in making threats or planning. Um, I have a leadership role. I, I you know, take point in decision making. Partly that's because of my rank in the story. Uh, but also, it's, it's really boring to sit out sessions where there's a lot of planning and, and banter and, um, like, leverage happening. So if you if you are playing someone who's, like, maybe the, the dumb brute um, or, you know, like, the squirrely wizard and you've got these, uh, like, charisma-forward situations, don't be afraid to inject yourself into them. You, you should be having fun talking in them and you know maybe you're not the most persuasive or charismatic person but you can certainly like throw down with logic or flexing your muscles or whatever and then keep in mind too if you phrase your action in a way that doesn't imply you need dice a lot of times the gm won't ask you to roll right so if you say that you're putting your ear to the door and asking what you hear you're probably going to hear something or if you say you go through the desk and read the documents what do they say the gm is probably just going to tell you uh, if you don't think that's enough or you think there might be more there, then offer to roll. Yeah, it would be a strange GM who says, oh, yeah, you're reading the documents. OK, make a history check. Like, but I'm I'm reading the documents like I'm reading all of the words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I take the desk apart and look for other documents and I read all of those words as well. I am proficient in common, sir. <laughs> it is the only language I took, so I'm very good at it. <laughs> you might say I've been speaking it my entire life. <laughs> and I'm a shifter, so I'm 12. I hear that's a lot of years. So to kind of wrap up this topic, um, there's definitely an angle of this that uh, benefits the power gamer um, or mitigates the perpetually unlucky. But I think the the most important reason to put down the dice is to drive a better story, right? So get a little bit more narrative control in the hands of people who are pushing the story forward rather than settling for what the dice say at a whim. 
Yeah, you put the dice down when you don't want to hear what they have to say. If you're very interested in randomizing something, great, pick them up, throw them down. Um, like that's what we're here to do. Uh, but there's certainly nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, dice, we got this." Yeah, you don't get the spotlight today, dice. Dice. And if you if you misbehave, we're gonna freeze you and hit you with a hammer. So maybe you just stay in your box today, dice. Hey, dice. Hey. Do you hear that, Ishan? <laughs> that's that's the terrible sound of a d20 shattered, shattered emotionally because you know it rolled a one, but then also physically. Well, if we're at a d20, we might need a whole new system. But let's move on to the character creation forge and roll up a new character. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening to the podcast. I bet you like tabletop role-playing games. That's probably why you're listening to a podcast on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Well, did you know there's a show on this network called Tabletop Babble, where I, James Intracasso, talk to many industry greats and awesome people who play role-playing games about role-playing games. It is great. It's like any conversation you would have at your local friendly game store. I've talked to people like Mike Merles, one of the lead designers of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, Wolfgang Bauer of Cobalt Press, Ruth Tillman, who's done a lot of awesome game design work with Pelgrane Press, and so many others. You can check it out over at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com. This week in the Character Creation Forge... We're building the improviser, who is, you know, good at everything. A little bit of healing, a little bit of dancing, probably some carpentry. Uh, oh, and also can use anything as a weapon to devastating effect. Oh, okay. So they're uh, not just uh, not just people who are disappointing their parents in New York or Chicago. Uh, they're, I think they could do that too, right? You, you take performance, not a but problem. But can they weaponize it? <laughs> it's always painful. <laughs> I always take psychic damage from improv. all right so what is the build it is college of whispers bard 16 paladin 2 knowledge cleric 2 so from bard eighth level spells and we're getting those sword coast adventures guide cantrips doesn't really matter you know whichever one you want booming blade or green flame blade uh we do nab some decent uh thematic spells get enhanceability which is going to give you advantage on a particular kind of skill check you also get skill empowerment which is kind of a weird fifth level spell where uh it gives you expertise in something that you're already proficient in i think mathematically that's only good once you get to plus six proficiency bonus though because i think lower than that and it's better just to have advantage and i think they're both concentration spells right Mm -hmm. so yeah, I don't know. I guess if you already have advantage from somewhere else, skill empowerment's the way to go. Yep, like say inspiration. Uh, you'll also get jack of all trades to add half your proficiency bonus to all skill checks, and then four expertises to double that. Uh, it's almost like uh, you can be pretty decent at something you've never even encountered before, huh? Mm-hmm. And you can also expend your inspiration dice to add up to eight d6 damage, not restricted by weapon type, like a sneak attack, huh? Not restricted by weapon type. That's interesting. 
you can speak for a minute to frighten people, and you can capture a dead creature's shadow, which you can then use to put on its appearance, but you also gain cursory knowledge that it had. That's, the book says it's enough for you to pass yourself off as them. I think if they are an expert in something, you will at least have um, introductory level knowledge of whatever those topics are, because otherwise, how could you pass yourself off as this person who is an expert in something? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if uh, you need to improvise an A on an exam uh, in your intro Spanish class, all you need to do is uh, kill, kill, smart kill a Spanish. Yeah, kill someone who speaks Spanish. <laughs> Great. <laughs> or be near them when they die. You don't have to do it. Come on. So Why do you always so hang out at the nursing home? No you're, reason. You're going to run out of classmates. I feel, um, I, feel, I feel like I learned so much there. <laughs> So from your cleric levels, you'll gain the guidance spell for an extra D4 on your checks. Any check, uh, yeah. You'll get two skills and two expertises. And of course, we're here for the channel divinity, which lets you gain proficiency in a school uh, in a skill or tool for 10 minutes. Of course, that gives you proficiency, proficiency and then you could use the skill empowerment spell to also give yourself expertise in it. So to literally become uh, an expert in 12 seconds overnight yeah yeah <laughs> for 10 minutes <laughs> so this uh this build does stay at a holiday in last night what you're saying <laughs> i hate you so from paladin we'll get medium armor proficiency uh shields and all weapons as well as a fighting style and of course smite which of course we're we're here for the smites right right uh race is variant human so that you can pick up tavern brawler at first level, which lets you attack with any object. Uh, of course, you stack all of that extra garbage together and, you know, pick up anything off the ground, right? Um, a rubber ball. This is a, an object. I believe I'm a tavern brawler, so I can attack with it for 1d4 damage, yes? I will beat you to death with your own beer mug. Oh, absolutely. It does 1d4 plus ability mod damage plus 86 psychic blades plus 3d8 from my Sword Coast Adventures Guide cantrip plus 5d8 from my smite for an average of 70 damage from this beer mug. You're welcome. That's a very heavy beer mug. It's giant. Actually, no, uh, this is an espresso cup. (laughs) (laughs) Because it doesn't matter what I'm hitting you with. Pour over coffee is just real strong these days. <laughs> you brought me French press. 70 damage. <laughs> what? What is this? 2012? <laughs> uh, I do like that uh, with this build, you're able to simulate some of those uh, cool abilities that you see in movies where, you know, I think it was at Shanghai Noon where like one of the bad guys kills someone with an oyster shell. He just like oh. sticks it right in their throat and they die. That's not really something you can do in D&D because like, Improvised weapons are terrible for the most part. Wait, is Shanghai Noon the Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker movie? Uh, no, that's uh Rush, that's Rush Hour. Hour, right? Shanghai Noon is the Jackie Chan, uh, Owen Wilson movie. Oh, so wow! I okay. had to be like, wait, is that Luke Wilson? And then I had to like picture his nose in my mind and be like, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, the, yeah. it's the broken nose, so it's Luke okay. Wilson. Okay, I, no, sorry, that Owen. seems <laughs> like an excessively violent scene for that film, but that's fine. It's true. I think it was the the uh, initial scene where you're like, "Oh, that's the bad guy." Oh, okay. gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's anti virtue sig- signaling, right? And he's uh, killing a person that we haven't met before and don't care about. Perfect. <laughs> so, in terms of leveling order, uh, we'll want to start with Bard five, then take our cleric and paladin levels, and then finish out Bard. 
So Shane, who is your improviser? My improviser is actually, and this is this is our term for it, a barbarian. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah. A, an, an outlander, untrained in the formal ways of society or combat, uh, who has just gives in to her rage, uh, but not in the way that like the barbarian class does, not to empower her, um, but to let her lash out. Uh, and so that is what all of this extra damage that she does, these smites, these blades, um, this uh, this embarrassing uh, little bit of magic, uh, it's, it's all her releasing that pent-up anger. All in one big boom. Right. But she's obviously incredibly talented because she can just learn in a heartbeat, proving that education and intelligence are not linked. They're useless, in fact. There's no point. Right. Mm-hmm. right. How about you? Who is your improviser? My improviser was a member of an improv troupe. It was her her great love. Uh, she loved the theater and and loved the rush of being on stage, not knowing what was going, what was coming. Right, working without a script. It's like working without a net. She she just <laughs> loved harassing her friends to show up to her show. <laughs> yeah, and she was pretty good at it too, because uh, you know she had expertise in persuasion. Until mm-hmm. one day when it all came crashing down in a horrible fire. Um, you know the improv troupe couldn't make much money. In fact, made no money. Uh. And they couldn't pay their debts, and, and so they, they got in deep with the wrong kind of people. So uh, when the thugs attacked, she had to defend herself with whatever was lying around, bits of rope and pulleys and prop weapons and costumes. and It's <laughs> a really intricate improv troupe. <laughs> you know, they, they were just at, at a theater that they didn't own. They, you know, knew someone who had the keys, I guess, okay. right? And realized that, you know what? <laughs> I don't just want to decide what I'm doing with this uh, banana or tea set or whatever anyone in the audience is throwing at me. Uh, I also like to be able to uh, pick up any object and decide exactly how I'm going to kill someone with it. So that's what she does. Great. You're welcome. You know what? I just came up with that. (laughs) It shows. (laughs) All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And we also have a new five-star review to read. So this comes from Nathan the Canadian Bard. Shane and Ishan have the best podcast period for role players. I'm a first-time player trying to gain some system mastery in order to become a DM. The audio quality is great, and the advice is excellent. Their advice is so good that I managed to listen to 172 episodes in the last 12 months. Two. Sorry, the last two months. But unfortunately, now my commutes are boring again. Therefore, I figured I should finally sign up for an Apple account, install iTunes on my computer, and leave them a review. Forget the stars, there is no higher praise than that. Also, if you aren't donating on Patreon yet, they deserve that too. Oh, that's lovely. See the Canadians. I feel like we should tap more into a Canadian audience. Oh, if good. you want to throw us a loony or a toonie, like we just <laughs> no, we'll convert it. Don't worry. No, no problem there. Um, you know, and if you want to listen to all hundred and seventy, I guess what nine episodes in the backlog mm-hmm. now, uh, before you leave us a review, I guess you can do that too. But yeah, you could also not, do it not earlier. Required. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you, Nathan. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about using comedy 
has we've evidenced our ability to do that on this episode yes this has been our funniest episode yet oh dear and in the character creation forge we're building the jester well that's it for episode 180 of total party thrill i hope we lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening